Motherhood, I believe, is uh, undervalued and overlooked in society today. It's a, it's a God-given role that um, plays a vital part in the foundation of family and uh, plays a really important part in the communities. And uh, it's absolutely paramount in God's uh, kingdom and in God's order of things. Motherhood also is a role that has its fair amount of pain and uh, also pleasures through all stages of life as, as we go through various challenges. Uh, there's both pain and pleasure. And uh, today we're going to look at uh, the life of Naomi as recorded for us through the book of Ruth and uh, just see her life there, which is a fair mixture there of pain and pleasure as well. So if you've got your Bibles, and we'll bring it up on the screen too, uh, Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit at the start and a little bit from the end. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled there, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But and Limelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with the two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpha, and the other Ruth. They lived there for about ten years, and both Marlon and Chilion died, so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And over to chapter 4, we'll just read the last uh, few verses in verse 13 to 22. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Selmon. Selmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Uh, Lord, thank you today for the book of Ruth. Thank you today uh, that we can come around the scriptures which are alive and they're breathing and they're speaking to us. Even though this was written perhaps 3,000 years ago, uh, this word is eternal. And uh, Lord, today as we look at the life of Naomi uh, given to us through the book of Ruth, I pray, Lord, that you will uh, speak into our hearts, not only mothers, but all of us. All of us today, Lord, will learn from the life of Naomi and come to trust in you as our great sovereign Lord. Please help us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. And we ask that in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, guys, the Bible's a gift. The Bible is a real gift. If we just open our eyes to it, we will see it is an amazing gift we have. We, in it, we have the very words of God. God speaks to us from these pages. Uh, there's, these words point to a world of rejection and pain. We all experience that in some ways, but they also, from the words of this book, point us to, a, uh, to love and redemption by a merciful God as well, as we see it revealed here through the pages of Scripture. Uh, today's Mother's Day. Uh, this is a day when we do set aside a focused time to remember uh, the vital, vital role that mothers carry out. 
Sure, in some sense, commercialism may have captured it for the sales of material things. Uh, But really, I don't mind a day like this on the calendar because sometimes we are legendary at forgetting things. And sometimes it's forgetting about mums and mothers. Uh, I can put that picture up. My mum too, if you like me, Kath. Uh, My mother died four years ago. There's a picture there on the... You might recognise a few others there as well in that photo too. Um, My mother died four years ago, but I still have vivid memories of her. Vivid memories of her. Uh, Particularly my school days, it would be nothing to sort of stumble out in the morning and there would be a hot pot of porridge uh, being boiling on the stove, ready to go for school uh, breakfast. Or as I got to my teenage years, I still stumbled out the door, but it was really, really late. I did just quickly dash for the bus and she slipped me a couple of poached eggs on toast just to sort of eat on the bus on the way there as well. Uh, Great memories of mum in looking after us and providing for us. In the early years before my dad became a Christian, mum would also lead us in Bible devotions. And that was pretty hard work for her, trying to harness us guys and three guys and a sister. Um, but mum actually persevered, in, persevered on and kept doing that. Mum also had a share of pain in her life as well. Uh, my mother lost her mother when she was in her maybe middle to late 20s. She also lost her husband, my dad, in her mid-40s. So she's a fairly young woman when, uh, when my dad passed away. She also had multiple operations on her spine. I have stacks of memories of jumping in the car with Dad, all of us, going down to Melbourne Hospital and seeing Mum sort of stretched out in a bed for weeks on end. She was actually in traction at one stage, I think, for about eight weeks or ten weeks, you know, just stretched out on bed, and, and she, that's all she did for the next eight weeks. So many memories of visiting Mum in hospital uh, in the times of real challenge in her life. Now, Mum certainly also inspired me in her devotion to Jesus. Mum never complained about her life just actually always looked on the gratefulness and the thankfulness of what God had given to her. She was never one to complain about that. That was my mum. Here we're going to see today perhaps a little picture of of that in Naomi as well. A life here of challenges. Mum and Naomi in many respects aren't that unusual. In fact, all mothers can find themselves experiencing different aspects of life, both pain and pleasure. There's seasons of that that come and go. And this is particularly how it was for Naomi as we're picking up her story today here in in the book of Ruth. Perhaps in a snapshot, because I've read you the first few verses and read you the last few verses there of Naomi, let me just try uh, a bit of a snapshot here as um, we try and grasp this whole story. She marries Elimelech and they move to Moab because of a drought in Israel. Uh, They take with them there the two sons and these guys marry a couple of local Moab girls. Disaster sets in for Naomi. Elimelech first dies, and then the two sons die as well. Naomi travels back to Bethlehem, where she came from with Elimelech, and she travels back with Ruth to try and rebuild their lives. Uh, Ruth meets a man called Boaz, and he becomes their kinsman redeemer. We'll explain this a bit later on. He becomes their kinsman redeemer, and then again they experience security and care through Boaz uh, as they return back to Bethlehem. There's a story here which we'll unpack uh, for a mother who's experiencing pain and pleasure in the life of the, Naomi. But there's also a greater story here happening of God's sovereignty and redemption, which we'll see this overarching here through the book of Ruth today. And this is exactly uh, what we want mothers to do, is to find their story today in God's grand story, to see themselves wrapped up in God's grand story, and that's where we'll, we will experience his pleasure and his glory in our life as we see our story uh, hidden, as it were, in God's grand story. So for Naomi, though, 
Uh, There's no question here of the pain that Naomi feels. She feels real pain. Uh, In verses 1 to 5, there's a whole world of pain for Naomi. It's sort of covered in five verses, but there's about probably, who knows, 15, 20 years there, and it's not good. Uh, Back in the home country of Bethlehem, she's gotten married to Elimelech, and she's had a couple of boys. Drought has set in, though, and their farming pursuits look like they're going up in tatters. Things are looking pretty grim. They can't supply anything uh, for themselves. When it says a famine there, it means a drastic shortage of food. Long conversations take place between Naomi and Limelech. What will we do? Will we stay here with family and friends, but there's no food? Or do we move to where pastures are greener and maybe we can sustain ourselves there? Maybe I can find some work there in this other country and then we can have food again. Long conversations taking place. So Naomi, family with Elimelech, moved to Moab. It's a foreign country. And they probably would have been treated like second-class citizens in that country. But at least there's food there for them when they arrive. Not too long into uh, their journey or their time in Moab, uh, disaster strikes for Naomi. Disaster sets in. Her husband, Elimelech, dies. And shortly after this, the two boys... Uh, Marlon and Chilion, who have taken local girls for wives, they die as well. And you get this really telling statement here in verse 5. It, it's, it's only in a couple of lines, but it says this, And both Marlon and Chilion died, so that, that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. It's a really telling statement there. I mean, it's like your whole world's nearly been taken away from you in some sense. So Naomi is a widower without the care of her sons as well. There's nothing left for her. No husband, no sons. Now, it's a desperate place to be in when you're like that 3,000 years ago. It's a very desperate place. There's no Centrelink in Moab. There's no Centrelink in Israel. There's no social welfare programs. If you want to live, you've actually got to get on the streets and beg for your life. There's no one there to sustain you. It's a really, really desperate place to be in. But Naomi hears that the food is now returning back to the land where she come from, back in Bethlehem again, her home country. Word has gotten around that Israel's received crops, a rain, and crops are growing and blooming once again. She gathers her two daughter-in-laws and heads back towards home, back towards Bethlehem. Now I can imagine on this long, dusty trek back to Bethlehem, she's doing a lot of thinking on this dusty road home. And she realises, what have I got to offer these two girls? What have I got to offer them back here? I've got nothing. I've got nothing. So Naomi stops and she talks to both Orpha and Ruth and says, Girls, girls, you might as well go back home. My life's been nothing but a disaster for you guys. I've got nothing to offer you. You might as well go back home to your families and maybe start again. And with this, we see the discussion between them here in verses 13 and 14. Naomi says, and would you therefore wait till they were grown? She's saying, you know, can I get married again and have sons and then you'll marry them? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You can get a real picture here. There's some deep pain with Naomi as she's experiencing life as it takes its twists and turns. And we see it again when she arrives back in Bethlehem just a few verses later in verses 19 to 21. So the two of them went on, this is now Naomi and Ruth, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? 
She said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You can sense there's some real distress in Naomi as she returns back here to Bethlehem. She's overwhelmed by bitterness and grief because of the life that's happened in the season she's been in. She's experiencing real pain, real pain. And there's no doubt about that as we see this echo through the pages of Scripture here for us. I'm sure this pain is raw and it's suffocating in many respects for Naomi at this particular time as she comes back in. Everything, in a sense, looks dark and depressing for Naomi. There's nothing but challenges there for her and nothing but pain in many ways. And mothers today, we can identify with Naomi's pain as well. Maybe not to the same extent as what she's been through. Maybe not as bitter and as deep as far as losing your husband and losing two sons. But maybe there are some today that have lost their husband. Or have lost a son or two sons or a daughter. But certainly in some way we've all felt the pain in this world as a mother living in its brokenness, living in its challenge upon us. Maybe you've had a broken relationship within your family where you long to have that pleasant conversation with somebody but it nearly always ends in tension or some sort of emotional pain. Or maybe as a mum today, you're trying to juggle work commitments and a family, and that's causing dramas, that's causing grief, that's causing some level of pain. Uh, These are the broken realities of the world that we live in. These are the challenges that we face today. In many respects, we can echo what's happened in the life of Naomi. And sometimes mothers oh so closely can feel that because they are so intimately involved in the affairs of the home life and uh, world that we live in as well. So that's Naomi's pain. That's, that's the brokenness she finds herself in. It's a very difficult place, a very difficult place. But Naomi's pleasure now is something we see uh, reflected through the pages of Scripture here for us as well. Initially, it's hard for Naomi to see this, to see God's blessing in her life. But God hasn't forgotten her like she may think. He is a God who is there. He is a God who knows. He's a God who cares. And here's what Naomi's missed about God first in the sense of God's blessing in her life. In chapter 1, verse 14, we see that Ruth clung to her, it says. One daughter-in-law said, yeah, I will go back to my family. But Ruth said, no, I will will cling to you. Pretty strong word there. It's like liquid nails gluing two pieces of wood together. I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. I'm going to stay with you through thick and thin. In verses 16 and 17, she goes through that. They're saying, where, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your God will now be my God. There's a real deep sense here of Ruth wanting to cling tightly to Naomi. Come hell or high water, mum, I'm going to be with you, Ruth would say. Wherever life is going to take us, I'm going to be there with you. Ruth was an incredible blessing that God brought into Naomi's life. An incredible blessing. Look at what Ruth does here in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Ruth's saying, Let me go and clean up the scraps of grain that are left over in the paddocks. At least if I do that, we'll have some food and we can bake something and we can eat. Incredible here. It's Ruth who initiates this which is probably a picture here of the despair that Naomi's still in, still suffering from as, she even, as she's got back home to, uh, Naomi, uh, to Bethlehem where they, uh, they lived. 
She's somewhat blinded by the pain and suffering that they're in. She's the mother still in despair. And yet clearly we can start to see here God's blessing Naomi through the life of Ruth. Let me go and glean in the fields and I'll pick up some scraps. At least we can have some food to cook and bake with. This blessing continues though in Naomi's life as well. Ruth wanders out and comes upon the field of a a farmer called Boaz. In uh, chapter 2 verses 5 and 9 we see that there. And in a massive act of God's providence, Boaz is this this incredibly kind and generous guy. Amazingly kind and generous. And he looks after Ruth really, really well when she comes there. He makes sure that she's protected from the men assaulting her. He makes sure there's plenty of grain purposely left behind her for her to pick up. He actually instructs some of his workers, drop some grain on the ground so this girl Ruth can pick it up. Incredibly kind and generous guy. Ruth goes and she gleans all day. She picks up the bits of grain all day and brings home a bucket load to Naomi. And here we can begin to see that maybe from this initial visitation out into this paddock and um, grabbing this grain, that maybe Naomi's vision's just starting to open up now a little bit to God's blessing in life. And it says there in verse 20 of chapter 2, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. God's blessing Naomi here by allowing Ruth to uh, come in connection with Boaz, a kind, generous guy who gives them food. Naomi's beginning to see here that God does know our pain and he does know our suffering and he does know our challenges. She's being awakened to the blessing that God is now providing through Boaz. Naomi is seeing God's kindness, this blessing of kindness now through the farmer called Boaz. The blessing of God continues though for Naomi at this particular time. She recognises Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. You might have seen that back in that other verse there. He says uh, he is one of our redeemers. A kinsman redeemer. Old Testament law provided for the poor and the widower that if, some, if they had um, some land that maybe their husband had but now they couldn't work it because they haven't got the resources to do that, nearest of kin or next of kin would actually have the right to come and purchase that land and when that took place, they would actually then sustain to keep that widow supported by the food and whatever off that land for the rest of their days. And if the widow was young enough, uh, she actually also had right to marry that man as well to perpetuate the name of that family to carry on. That was Old Testament law to make sure that the poor uh, were actually cared for in that particular time. So as Naomi begins to realise this, she hatches a plan in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. It's a great read, uh, the book of Ruth. She hatches a bit of a plan here. She instructs Ruth to go in the middle of the night and to lie at the feet of Boaz while he's sleeping. Now if you read that there, you'll see Naomi, like all good mothers, is a matchmaker. She's bringing them together. She's getting to lie at the feet. So when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he says, what are you doing? And then he understands what's happening here, that she's sort of saying, hey, aren't you the kinsman redeemer? You should buy a land and you should marry me. Like all good mothers, uh, she's a matchmaker and she gets a bit of a kick out of arranging. So we thought arranging was only happening in the last few years. It's been happening for centuries, centuries. Seriously, though, this is God's blessing. This is God's blessing. Kind and generous Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And after he follows 
uh, the appropriate course of action, which makes good reading too. They've got to take off a shoe and hold up a shoe. Back then it was sort of say, I'm fulfilling my rights as a kinsman redeemer. He does this for the town elders and then he marries Ruth. Uh, Naomi's future is now assured through Boaz as the kinsman redeemer as he uh, exercises his rights to buy that land and then also to go on and uh, marry Ruth. Naomi has known tough times, extremely, really difficult times, but now God is meeting her needs and blessing her in these latter days of her life. Wonderfully and gloriously, we can see here God's hand working here to bless her. And even us, as we look at that, we can see how gracious and how loving and how kind God really, really is. Now, that's a great story. It's a really great story. and It's a true story. It's in the pages of Scripture. It's a picture here we're going to see of Naomi's Redeemer. Naomi's Redeemer. But we're meant to see something here really significant about God as we read this story. It's not meant to just brush over us and sort of look at Naomi and look at Ruth and look at Boaz and say, yeah, that looks all good. There's something far, far bigger happening all around this story and all over the top of it. And what we see, if we do stand back and look again from this sort of larger vantage point, we see God's sovereign providential purposes being worked out through the world he's created. We begin to see this now in this large picture here of what's taking place. Firstly, let's look at what Naomi said in verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Naomi says, The Lord's hand has been against her. The Lord's hand has been against her. Now, Naomi's saying this in a, in a negative fashion, but there's truth in what she's saying. She's saying from a negative perspective, but there's truth in what she's saying. God's hand is in everything that happens in this world. Absolutely everything that happens in this world. God stands behind every single event, every single circumstance in this world. When drought and famine were in Israel, perhaps 20 years earlier in Naomi's life, God is sovereignly ordaining that to happen. God's behind all of that. When Elimelech and the two sons die, God is sovereignly ordaining that to take place. His hand is in that. Incredibly, much of God's sovereignty and providence is a total mystery for us. His workings out. We can't see what's happening in there. And I'm sure, and I'm absolutely sure, that Naomi had many, many, many long nights just wondering what's going on. My husband's died and my two sons have died. What's going on, Lord? Much of God's sovereign purposes are just a complete mystery to us. We can't sort of sit there and put a line through it. Oh, yeah, I can see what's happening here now. We just can't see that. But what's critically important, though, what's critically important is how we react to God's sovereign will in our lives. It's really important. Now, I'm not picking on Naomi here. But God is teaching us something through her today. And I want to do this by looking at the way she responds when she comes back to Bethlehem. She's had this really challenging, difficult life. And this is what we see here in her arrival back at Bethlehem. Verses 9 to 21 of chapter 1. So the two of them, this is Naomi and Ruth. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And we don't know why. But for some reason, uh, everybody's taken notice of Naomi's arrival. The whole town there is stirred by Naomi coming back. Maybe they even know what's happened in Naomi's life. And the women said, is this Naomi? 
The word Naomi there means pleasant. It means pleasant. And maybe the ladies are asking, is she the pleasant one? When we knew her last, she was the pleasant one. Maybe they're seeing something very depressing about her demeanour or her attitude now that she's come back. They're seeing something despairing here about Naomi. When we knew her last, she was the pleasant one, but she just looks despaired and she looks um, a demeanour of depression about her. goes on in verse 20. She said to them, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Call me Mara, she says. Mara means bitter. I get this feeling that Naomi has come back with this look upon her. Life's a disaster for me. Life's just a train wreck for me. Life's just hopeless for me. Life's just all falling in around about me. That's the look that Naomi's got about her, I think, as we read that here and see what's happening. Now, I'm not being hard on Naomi, but she's had real pain and probably still feeling it. And I feel for her, and I think we all would, as we actually see what's happened in those first five verses here of the book of Ruth. She acknowledges God's hand in her life, but all she could see at this point in time is just the negative and just the despair. That's all she can see. And I think at the same time, she's failing to see God's sovereign blessings upon her life at the same time as she's just being overwhelmed uh, by this pain and despair. And this is what pain does to us in our lives. It actually brings a blindness upon us. It brings a blindness upon us. When we're in seasons of intense suffering and all of its associated pain, we actually become blinded to the goodness of God. Pain comes in and it just overwhelms us and blocks our vision and we can't see God's goodness. Happens like this. The circumstances that we're in causes the pain, becomes the focus of our mind. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter whether it's relational or physical or financial. If any of those challenges begin to close in us, that's all we tend to see. We just look at all this negativity. We look at all these problems. If I've got a strained relationship with a son or a daughter, it's really easy for all those tense conversations to just fill my mind. I go to bed at night and all I do is keep replaying that same conversation back. That same hurt, that same brokenness just floods into my mind again. I just keep replaying that same conversation over and over and over again. So that all I see is the pain of those conversations or the pain of that broken relationship or the pain of that situation I'm in. And when I see that, I miss out on seeing God's goodness in my life. I don't see what he's doing. Mothers or anybody, it's really critical in the times of pain, don't look inwards. Don't look inwards. Please don't go and crawl into a hole and focus on all the negative that's happening in your life. Don't do that. Because if all you do is focus on the pain or focus on the negative or focus on the suffering, if that's all you do is focus on that, what do you think you'll see? You'll only see the pain, you'll only see the negative, you'll only see the despair. If you just allow yourself to be overwhelmed and consumed by that, that becomes all you want to focus on, that's all you will see. 
No one's denying Naomi's pain is real. No one's denying that. It is real pain. It is raw and it's grief-stricken. But if she or you and I continue to focus on the pain, we will miss out on seeing what God's goodness is doing to us in the meantime. We've got to do what the psalmist tells us here in Psalm 121. He says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We've got to lift up our eyes. We've got to lift up our eyes from the pain and suffering. Take that, it's real, it's there, but take our eyes off focusing on that and look up as a mother and look up to the maker of heaven and earth and see him who's able to sustain us and to keep us and to look up with gratitude and thankfulness for the blessings he pours into our life despite where we may find ourselves. Now for Naomi's sake, praise God for his sovereign patience and mercy here with her. It was actually happening all around her, but she couldn't really see it because she was focusing on the pain and the negativity and not what God was doing. Look in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. It says there, For God's hand in her affairs. So she set out and went, this is Ruth, and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. If you can just see what's happening there, it will blow you away. If you can just see what's taking place there, that will should blow you away in the bigger picture here of Scripture. In God's sovereign purposes, that at this point Naomi's not able to see, he's ordaining that Ruth goes and gleans in Boaz's fields. The word happened, just happened, is code for God sovereignly ordaining that to take place. Now, you've got to sort of get the picture here. We're not talking probably like Tim's farm up there at uh, Nipakola, big three or four hundred acre paddocks back in Israel's days. It's probably like a backyard of somebody's house or maybe a fraction bigger. So for for Ruth to go out there, she may would walk past 20, 30, 40, 50 fields of these small allotments that the farmers had back in the the days of Palestine. Just these tiny little dirt tracks separate. She's walked past all these fields. And what happens here? God impresses upon Ruth, walk past this one, past this one, here. Somehow impresses upon her mind, go into this field and glean here. Go into this field and pick up the scraps of wheat here. God's hand is directing her to Boaz. And who is Boaz? Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. This is the sovereign goodness of God working here that Naomi can't see at this particular time. It's amazing. We have the, the benefit of like a helicopter to sort of rise up above the book of Ruth and not get caught up in the... And we can see God's hand working in her life. Sovereignly ordained that Ruth walks past all these paddocks and go into this one. Staggering when you see how great God is, how massive he really, really is. It's amazing. But this goes further still. God as a redeemer is revealing himself here big time in the life of uh, scripture. There's a really grand story happening here in the book of Ruth. And Naomi and Ruth and Boaz with their stories are being woven into God's story of redemption here. It's real, it's raw, it's painful, but their story is being woven into God's big story. Boaz and Ruth marry. And not long after this, they have a child. And here's what the women of the town say about Naomi. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. 
who's not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. He has given birth to him. Praise God, Naomi, you have a redeemer, someone to rescue you and to save you. And in the temporal sense, this is exactly what has happened to Naomi. She has been rescued. She has been saved. A kinsman redeemer has come in. Naomi's life will be restored and it will be nourished in her old age. Someone will look after her for the end of her days. But this redemption by the kinsman redeemer here goes way beyond this temporal existence. Way beyond just three square meals a day for Naomi here. It goes way, way bigger. Boaz and Ruth named this child Obed. And in verses 18 to 22, we see that genealogy that we read out there before. Now, these are really important things in the Old Testament. They really help us to see God's hand working right through the millennia. Verse 22, he says this, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Who's David? It's King David, the King of Israel. And if we keep following his line forward to another thousand years or so, we find another baby born in Bethlehem a thousand years later. And here's what the Holy Spirit said about this baby born in Bethlehem a thousand years later out of Luke 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Jesus Christ is that baby and he is our ultimate redeemer. You can see God's sovereign purposes being worked out here through the lives of Naomi, Boaz and Ruth. Who was Boaz? Boaz was a a type or a shadow of a redeemer. Sure he was in a a small sense, in a temporal sense. But ultimately King Jesus would descend from Obed to be our eternal redeemer. Here as we see him outworking his purposes. And I can assure you at that particular time, Naomi had no idea what was happening in the big story. She'd have no idea that, hang on, a thousand years later that God's Messiah is going to come from uh, Ruth and Boaz. His sovereign purposes were taking place and sustaining and uh, making her life, as it were, even that was blinded by pain, lifted up to see that God was actually really in charge. So mothers today, this is what I'm going to say to you, that we love you and we thank God for you and we value your contribution that you make. It's critical and it's important. And we want to encourage you in all of your struggles today, all of your struggles whether it be unsaved sons or daughters. I know there's many here who have unsaved sons and daughters. That's incredibly painful. Whether it's just broken relationships within your family or your own parents that you're not even able to get onto speaking terms with them. Whether it's physical or health-related difficulties. We want to encourage you in that. But we want to also say, please don't allow the pain of those struggles to blind you from God's sovereign tender mercies. Don't let your focus just be that. You'll miss out on so much of what God is doing for you. Look up. Look up. Look up and see the maker of heaven and earth and let your own story be wrapped up in his story. Look up and see the sovereign redeemer, Jesus Christ, pouring out his love you at the cross. Look up. Mothers, look up today and by by faith see our sovereign God at work in every detail of your life, despite how it might look initially when you first look out. Know that he is in control And he's working all things together according to good. 
Father, we thank you and we praise you today that we can come and open up this book of Ruth and look at the life of Naomi. Lord, I want to pray for mothers today. It is so easy for us, Lord, to be overwhelmed, Lord, by life. It is so easy for us to want to just crawl into a hole and just hide away from everything and just focus on the negative. Lord, today I pray that your spirit would come and empower us to look up, to look up, to not focus on all the pain or the despair, but to focus on a sovereign God who's actively working in our lives, even though we may not be able to see it at that time. Please help us, Lord, today to get alongside those mothers and encourage them in this, I ask, to stand with them, to enable them to look up and to see a mighty risen Lord who loves them more than they could ever imagine. And today, Lord, I pray that you'll help us uh, to do this for your glory and for your good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, uh, Megan, if you want to come in. For you just to either talk to God or think inside your heart about um, where your